This is a man who has been to Europe. He blazed a trail, played for his country, played in MLS, played in England with some of the top teams. He's also been a coach of some of the biggest teams here in America, including the LA Galaxy, and most recently, the USC Trojans. Stand by on the bear and the ball. This is a man who has taken goalkeeping to an exceptionally new level. Hi, I'm Nick Webster, Vice President of Adults for Cal South. And today on the Bear and the Ball, I'm delighted to welcome Ian Foyer to the show. Ian, how are you? I'm uh, doing great after that intro. That was uh, that was inspiring for me. Yeah, that was awesome, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you are the man, Ian. And what I want our listeners today to get a taste of is, you know, you, your background, what goalkeeping is all about and where goalkeeping is going in the future so let's start at the very beginning you're born in las vegas is las vegas a hot spot for soccer for you in 1970 well obviously not 71 when you were born but in the 70s no it wasn't a hot spot for soccer maybe for uh, gambling and mafia um characters but uh no it was definitely not a hotbed i don't even think to this day it's a hotbed uh, we've had some players come through obviously but it's not known as a, as a hotbed for soccer. So growing up, it was kind of interesting. You know, soccer, football wasn't wasn't that big a sport at the time. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with it at a pretty young age. And um, that's, that's what made me kind of from around probably age 10 want to try my luck in Europe as, you know, Europe was obviously and to this day is, you know, the biggest place to play. So... You know, as as, as, a, as a young man, uh, obviously, you know, when, when you fully grew out six foot seven, that's pretty tall for a goalkeeper. You know, what at what point did you say, I'm going to join this crazy union? Because, I, you know, my experience with goalkeeping, Ian, it's obviously quite limited other than, you know, trying to score past you and, and taking my, uh, you know, NSCAA advanced goalkeeping diploma. And that was the first time I'd really stepped into the world of goalkeeping to, to to learn how to coach it. And it was amazing that the goalkeepers union kind of welcomed me with open arms. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. But what kind of made you want to be a goalkeeper? Because the conventional wisdom is, is that you're all quite mad? Yeah, yeah, we kind of are in certain ways. I mean, to to throw your face at someone's foot while they're kicking a ball at 80 miles an hour is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, I think I just hated running more than I was worried about getting kicked in the face. I just, I'm not a runner. I'm six, seven, 240 pounds. And it's just like a big tank running down the street. So um, when I decided I didn't like running and I grew and all that, I just fell in love with the, the, the position and it is different. It's, it's one of those that, um, it's a difficult position. I mean, we train as a professional, for sure. We train probably an hour extra every day with our keeper coach before we join the team. And we're catching thousands of balls to maybe catch three at the weekend. But the three at the weekend are so important that, you know, we have to do those repetitions during the week because we just, we pretty much have to be almost be perfect every week, you know, and and when we're not, you know, it's 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 a lonely feeling. It's a it's a it's not a good feeling. You know, the ball stops, the crowd half the crowd roars, and another half goes, you know, what were you doing or something like that. And 
you know, it, uh, it's, it can be a very lonely position within a team. And it's, it's such a crazy dynamic that, you know, here you are within a 11 man squad and, and yet you're still at times, you know, solo, you know, there's, it's such a different position. So, um, but I, I kind of like that. I liked the challenge of it. I like the difficulty level of it. Um, I'm also one that doesn't take the easy road. As you know, I, I went over to Europe at 16 and all that, which I was, you know, it was unheard of at the time I went. So I like to take a, you know, a challenge uh, head on and, and, you know, it worked out. Well, talk to us about this trip to Europe then. Obviously, you know, Club Bruges, uh, many people in the U.S. probably don't know them, but, you know, coming from England, Club Bruges were, you know, one, one of the great Belgian teams. And actually, I, I, I saw them in the uh, European Cup final taking on Liverpool back in the yep. 70s. This was when you were just a, a wee lad. So what was that experience like? You're 16 years of age. You're from Las Vegas. And now all of a sudden you're in the capital of Brussels and, and trying to make your way in a professional environment. It must have been mind-blowing. I don't even know how to explain it. It was kind of like I went over to Europe at 16 to Belgium. I signed with, uh, they gave me, uh, I went on a couple trials with some lower division teams with this person that uh, at the time wasn't an agent, but now now he is. Um, just people he knew and he wanted to get a feel for my ability. So he took me on a couple tryouts with like third and fourth division teams in Belgium. And the, the feedback was the kids, he's got something. He's 16, he's, he's athletic, he's tall, he's got all the attributes. He just needs, he needs to be taught. So he took me to Bruges and they gave me about an hour tryout. And uh, after the hour tryout, they just said, uh, we're going to sign you for one year on the youth team, the 16 and under team, and we're just going to see who you are in a year. They said, you're not going to play. Um, we can tell you that right now because we have two keepers ahead of you on the 16 and under team that are better, but we want to see what, uh, what you're, you know, what you can, what you can do in that season. And, uh, towards the end of that season, there were a few injuries to the, like the U 23 teams, like the pro team. And they called me into this tournament in France, um, to play. And, and again, I was raw and whatever, but I went there, we played against big teams, you know, PSG, Glasgow Rangers, and, um, and I had about four games there in this tournament and it was a pro, you know, U23 tournament and just did amazing. Um, just, I was on fire. I was just lucky too. And, you know, you need a little bit of luck at times. And I got home and then they, they basically called me in the office and said, we're going to offer you a pro contract. So I went from third keeper of the 16 and under team, basically to third keeper of the, the pro team of FC Brews. And at that time, um, Man, we were good. We 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 won. I think I was at Bruges five seasons, and we won the championship. I think two or three. We got to the European Cup final. I think twice, um, and, and just amazing team. Jan Kulamans, you know, Frankie Van der Elst, all these guys. Daniel Amakachi, you know, just I gosh, you can go through the whole team. Mark de Greza. Um, So yeah, it was just an honor to be part of that. But it was also just so surreal because that it was unheard of i was the first american goalkeeper to to sign in, in belgium and then i became the first american goalkeeper to sign in the english premier league um even though there was a couple other keepers in like you know like casey keller at millwall um but i think it's as far as records go i think i was the first to sign for a premier league club in 94 
so it was just weird um you know i didn't i i wanted it i just never knew it would come true but i just said you know what i'm gonna go for it and when it happened it was like whoa okay that was that was kind of cool they like me all right you know well, the interesting thing for me is that you know you so you've gone there at 16 you've you've left school you've left high school early uh you've you've bypassed you know i don't want to say the traditional route but i guess back then the traditional route of of going to college and, and being discovered yeah. and i mean are you living in europe on your own right now as a 16 17 year old i mean yeah where are your parents at this particular point i, I left i went um i went all on my own uh i finished school there I had to go to school during the week and I stayed in a, um, it was like a, a dorm school, like, you know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, where you stay over the school and, yeah, uh, boarding had school. yeah, boarding school. Thank you. Um, I had a little cubby that basically my feet touched one end of the room and my head touched the other, um, and a little sink, a little bed. And it was just this big, massive hall with, you know, little cubbies and probably about a hundred kids staying there. And I'd ride my bike to training during the week. Um, at the weekend, I would stay with the host family that that they set me up with. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, just all on my own, and it, it got tough at times. You know, you, your parents are calling you at Christmas and Thanksgiving, and then you know they're calling from a big party at their house, and everybody's there, and your whole family's there, and you're just sitting alone. And you know, it got tough at times, but the, the dream was bigger than the, than missing out on a Thanksgiving or a Christmas party, you know, so I kept going, was, you know. Now, you're, you're the, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're the only American for a thousand miles, probably, but obviously you're probably the only American in the club. Did you feel like you were flying the flag? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not just on the field, but off the field. You know, like um, definitely on the pitch, you know, I was the first American. I don't think there was another American in Belgium at the time or even in Europe. I, as far as I remember, when, when I first went, it was Paul Caligiuri at Hamburg. And then I went uh, maybe a, six months later. Um, and there again, don't quote me. I don't I didn't study it. I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it was just Paul and myself and maybe a couple others scattered around. But in Belgium, I was definitely the only American. So, yeah, on the pitch, I had to – I couldn't be just as good. I had to be better. I had to um, represent America in a, in a positive light because there's a certain way the world looks at Americans at times, you know, in terms of they think we're – you know, we think America is the only place on earth and, the, you know, our, our, we, don't, we don't span out across the world and, we, you know, we're kind of arrogant and that, which at some time, you know, I agree to – some extent as well so yeah i was over there and i was trying to show them that we're all not like that and we're very well mannered you know i'm saying please and thank you i spoke um uh fluent dutch within six months um i was speaking god my my left back was french and my other three three backs were uh were dutch speaking so i'm speaking dutch to my my center backs and my my right back and then my left back gets the ball and i'm trying to speak you know french to him you know, Adwat, Agos, you know, all these different different things, you know, to, to command. And I think when people saw that, they were like, wow, okay, he's, he's, he's trying. He's speaking the language. He's trying to adapt. And so, yes, I definitely was, you know, and I'm six seven, and it's easy to spot me down the street. If I'm walking down the high street and shopping or going to a restaurant, you know, everybody knew who I was. So I was always on, on 
on point in terms of, of trying to represent, you know, the states in America in terms of a, of a positive and a well-mannered and respectful light, you know. And I remember even one time yeah, I was that's... at a restaurant and uh, there were some tourists and it was in Bruges and there were some tourists at a restaurant and I was sitting there eating and this, you know, this dad was being just uh, that typical American, you know, like snapping his fingers to the waitress and come over here. And I walked up to him. I go, listen, man, I live here. What you're doing, it's not how it goes over here. You know, I said, the European culture is different. It's very relaxed. And you go to a dinner and it's very, it's not about how quick you can do it. You enjoy it, you, you know, different things. And I kind of set him straight a little bit and, and he, he was cool about it. But yeah. I was definitely trying to represent America in a good light. Fantastic. And so you're at Bruges. You came home for a year to go to the Salsa. And then West Ham United, obviously one of the most famous clubs in, in world football. How did that come about? Well, they, they knew me from Bruges a little bit. And then they saw me play for LA Salsa. And then I had, uh, I, I had a, a, they, they asked me to come try out. Uh, Harry Redknapp asked me to come try out, and I uh, flew on a plane, and uh, I tried out. It was an interesting tryout. I mean, I flew in from L.A. to Heathrow, 12-hour flight, and uh, took me an hour to get my bags, and then the traffic was horrendous. Harry Redknapp picks me up, so I was like, okay, that's a good sign. I mean, you know, they didn't just, you know, the, the, the one of the managers picking me up, and uh, I was thinking I'm going to get to the hotel, have a good night's sleep, get some food down me, whatever. And, uh, you know, cause I'm six, seven, I cannot sleep on a flight. My knees are like behind my ears. And, uh, he goes, yeah, let's just go see the, the training ground. So we go to Chadwell Heath training ground and I'm thinking still, you know, we're just going to see it. And then we're going to drop me off at the hotel. And he goes, ah, just get your kid on, just get your clothes on. You know, let's, let's, let's get a little sweat, you know, a little run out. I'm now going, oh, my God, I'm trying to impress. This is not going to be good, you know. And we go out. It's pouring rain. It was a two-hour car ride from Heathrow to Chattel Heath. It's pouring rain. And I'm, I go out, and there's the keeper coach. There's about three, four players. One of them was uh, Frank Lampard, and I want to say uh, Joe Cole as well because they were still like 19, 20 at the time coming up. And, uh, you know, we start doing a session. And I'm thinking, man, is this my tryout? Like, this is going to suck. I'm, I'm just not feeling well, you know. Anyways, I put my mind to it, and I just said, look, it is what it is. Let me just go for it. And they just kicked my ass for about an hour, you know, hour and a half. And, uh, you know, I was just dragging. I was just barely could get up. I mean, it was a hard session. It was hard. And it was in this mud pit. It was just mud, rain, whatever. And, um. So I get showered up and, and Redknapp calls me in the office and he goes, Hey man, I want to, I want to offer you our contract. And it was as simple as that. Um, he already, he told me he already did his homework in terms of me playing. He's seen me play. He just wanted to see if I had the mental strength to play in this league. And, and the, the test that they put me through was a, was a test that they do to all keepers. Um, and during the, the, the the session, he kept asking me, he goes, Hey, do you want to, you don't want to stop? Do you want to get some water? And I just, I, I, I said, they're testing me. I said, no, I'm just going to keep going. I said, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Even though inside I was dying, I didn't show it. And I uh, just kept going. And I, I think I went for about a good 55 minutes or something like that. And, and afterwards he said, that's what we test all our tryout keepers with. And he says the previous record of, you know, time was about, I think 37 minutes. 
the previous keeper that, that, that was the highest, the, the most they could last this, this session that they put you through. And he goes, you went like 55, 56 minutes. And he actually finally called it off because he had to go into a meeting regarding some other stuff. And I was like, you couldn't have told me that because after 38 minutes, I would have quit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I was dying, you know. But in my mind, I just said, hey, they're tra- they're testing me. They're trying to break me. And I said, I'm not breaking. And I just kept going, kept going. And it was it was one of the hardest things, you know, ever. But uh, it was worth it, you know. And then I became, like I said, the, the, the first American keeper to sign in the, in the English Premier League. Well, w- welcome to England then. Yeah. Uh, I mean... It, it, you, you bring up an interesting, interesting comment there, Ian, about mindset and just that you were willing to fight through anything. Where did you get that from? Because I, I think, you know, when we look at sports today, uh, mindsets and, and mindset coaching is, is becoming a huge, a huge thing. But, you know, back in your day, it didn't exist. You know, if you were feeling mentally weak, well, you know, get lost. Yep. But you 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 had this you had this inner strength. Where, where did that develop? Probably my parents. Um, you know, just seeing my parents grow. You know, growing up, my parents. You know, were just hard workers. They always taught me, look, just play hard, just give it everything you got. The results will happen one way or another. But as long as you give it everything you got and don't quit, you'll be fine. And uh, that's what I've done my whole life. And uh, you know, I think just like I said, my my. My passion for making it just superseded any type of pain or, or, or thought of giving up ever. So, you know, to play in England was always my dream. I started off in Belgium, but to play in England was always like my main, main dream. And it, it came to fruition. And, uh, yeah, to this day, it's just such an honor to, to have played in that league with some of the best players, you know. And we had a good team, so West Ham. Went- ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and so you you went to Peterborough United on loan and then really had a, a, a wonderful spell with Luton Town. You be, you became a hatter. I did, Talk to yeah. me about that. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so it was crazy. So I was at West Ham. I got injured. And uh, Redknapp, when I came back from my injury, um, he said to me, uh, let's get you some games. And, uh, you know, so I first went off to Peterborough and I played for um, three months there. And no one knows this, but I got player of the year. Um, votes, I got player of the year. They couldn't give it to me because I wasn't actually signed for Peterborough. But the fans actually voted me for player of the year there, which was kind of a, a really cool thing. And that was my first real taste of English football playing because previously I'd always been on the bench with West Ham. So then I came back to West Ham and uh, we went on an end of season tour to uh, Australia and Ludo McClosco, who's just one of the best keepers West Ham's ever had, amazing keeper. Um, he was having a bit of a rest and uh, they brought me on the tour and I played all the games in Australia and did again, did amazing. So I came back from preseason uh, from the end of season tour and came back into preseason and Redknapp calls me in. And he's like, Ian, he goes, you've been amazing. He goes, um, I really want you pushing Ludo this year. I want to get you some games. He goes, you just, you know, you've shown that you can play. You've shown that you can handle it. And uh, I want to get you some games. I was like, cool. This is, you know, exciting. You know, I'm thinking he wants to, like, really 
get me in there. That day I go out to training and it's about the third day of training and uh, broke my hand. Collided with the player, broke my hand. I'm out for six, seven weeks. So long story short, um, I rehab. I'm coming back from injury again. And Redknapp calls me in. He's like, uh, hey, I want to get you some games again. Do um, you want to go play for Luton Town? And I was like, who? You know, uh, they were in the championship at the time. And no disrespect to Luton. I just, I wasn't, you know, I knew who they were, you know, whatever. And this was on a, a Monday, and I think it was the following day. I'm playing at the Den against Millwall, against Casey Keller, my debut for Luton Town. Oh, yeah. And I remember Casey was very welcoming. And he's like, hey, buddy, it's good to see you and all that. You know, Casey's a great guy. And, um, yeah, just uh, played my played my first game for, uh, for Luton Town. I remember my buddy went to the game, and I walked out, and he was sitting with the Luton fans. And the Luton fans, who's this? Who's this guy? You know, who's this guy? And one of them was, oh, he's a, he's a West Ham, you know, a couple bad words, you know, because they all hate each other. And by the end of the game, they're like, oh, he's decent. Okay, he's decent. How long is he staying with us, you know? And then I just kept playing, and I just kind of uh, – we built this, like, love affair between myself and the fans. And at the end of the three months of playing, I was playing in, you know, every game. Um, I just got the bug of playing, and I didn't want to go back to sit in the bench, so – Luton Town put a bid in for me for close to a million pounds, um, and uh, it, that was that was history, you know. And then I signed for Luton Town. Yeah, it was great. I mean, what's this like for for an American kid? You know, you're following your dream. You go to Bruges. I mean, you're you're not really making any money. You you, you get signed by West Ham, and and it's very hard to break through into into the first team. Now you're worth almost a million pounds. I mean, your head must have been spinning. It was crazy. Um, and just the, the publicity around and just the interview, like, I mean, it was, it got kind of crazy because it was kind of like a phenomenon. And, and, you know, with my background and my family and everything, it was just kind of a big story. So it got, it got crazy for a little bit and, and, you know, um, the notoriety and all that. And luckily I'm pretty grounded and, and humble. So it, it, it didn't quite get to my head too much. You know, once in a while I had to check myself, but, it was a it was a fun ride, and to be part of history and to be part of uh, just such a, a God an amazing country in terms of football and people. I mean, the people are great. I miss the people in England and, and the banter and the humor. And, you know, it's, to this day, I still have some great friends over there. You know, so it was a, just a, a great ride. You know, amazing. So the Luton Town experience ends and. You decide to come home and you roll up at the uh, New England Revolution. How did, how did that come about? And talk to me about the differences that you, you know, the, the, the immediate playing differences you found between, you know, life in England and the championship. And, and now now you're here with MLS. And I mean, MLS is only two years old at this point. Yeah. It was part I wanted to get into the World Cup squad. And at the time I felt I was getting overlooked. Not... Not overlooked. I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, my problem was I had two amazing goalkeepers ahead of me. I had Brad Friedel and Casey Keller, two of the greatest ever. So I couldn't knock on the coach's door and say, play me. What I wanted was to get a little bit more into the squad, whether it be third keeper or whatever, just to show up what I can do. And, and I was getting called in once in a while, but I think at that time they were so set on Friedel and Keller. Um, you know, I didn't get quite as many call-ups as I feel I should have. Um but again, it's hard to complain because the, the the two guys are just amazing. 
so I kind of, it was partly that I thought I'd come back. I've been in Europe for a while. I thought, you know, let's just give it a try here. And, and, and the moment I did at the time, just, it was a lot slower. It wasn't as, it was, it was, it was tough. It was tough playing in it. Um, and it's not to disrespect the MLS. It just, it is where it was. It was two years old. Give me the prem, you know, any league in the world, two years old, you're going to have your issues. So, um, yeah, I came back, played, and then I immediately um, kind of wanted to go back to Europe, you know. Um, so I put in that request, and eventually it happened, you know. So um, it was fun. It was great, but, you know, it just wasn't – it wasn't for me at the time. I should have done it a little bit later. You know, I still had some time left. Well, after, after this, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're living on the, uh, the East Coast. You, you moved to Colorado, um, what what was the motivation behind moving to Colorado? Was it was it a trade or was it something that you wanted? Well, so I'm at New England and Walter Zenga took over mid-season as a head coach. And Walter basically was paving the way for him to come back as player coach, if you remember right. He came in and played again and he thought he was – look, he was one of my heroes growing up, but he, he wasn't uh, – yeah, it lasted, I think, a few games, and then it was like, okay. So he was paving the way for that. Um, Colorado, the league moved me to Colorado because Hahnemann was moving to, to to England. So I moved to Colorado for about uh, just one season, really. Um, and then after that season is when I went back to Europe. And so you, you go back to Europe, and obviously you, you're bouncing around a little bit. Are you, are you trying to find a home? Yeah, it was. It was um, so I went back and, and and I played in a couple games with uh, uh, Rustin and Diamonds. Funny enough, because um, my old coach from from Luton Town was the assistant at Rustin and Diamonds non league, and he found out I was um, in town. He had a keeper crisis at Rustin and Diamonds, and all of a sudden I get a phone call, and he's like, "Hey, man, you want to play in a game?" I'm like, "Sure. What? Who? Where? What? You know." He's like, we're playing and we're playing again tomorrow night against Leeds United in the FA Cup. So we got a non-league team against a Premier League team at that time. And it was like Hasselbank, that era and stuff. And uh, again, I don't shy away from a challenge. I was like, sure, let's do it. So it was it was live on TV and it was it was one of those games, either David and Goliath, and everybody was expecting an upset. And we almost did. We got we held them at nil-nil. I had a lot of work. I remember that game, a lot of work. And uh, so it was kind of people were like, oh, Ian's back in town. So immediately I had, you know, a bunch of teams contacting me, um, you know, for, for this and that. And, and right away, Redknapp uh, got got wind of it. And uh, I think it was when Shaka Hislop broke his leg. So Redknapp needed a keeper right away, and he, he called me back to, to West Ham. So I came back to West Ham for another spell. That I think it was like two year ninety nine. I think it was ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, ninety nine. Yeah. So I came back to West Ham. So when the when the time came to hang up the boots, mm -hmm. why why did you do it? I mean, I, you know, it was fairly early for a goalkeeper. I mean, many goalkeepers nowadays can play until you know their 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 early forties. You you were quite young. Um, yeah. why did you hang him up so early? You know, it was kind of a mix between 
just ready to, I did everything I wanted to. I didn't see it. I didn't, the only thing I never achieved was a world cup. And I didn't see that on the horizon. Um, at that point now we got Tim Howard coming through and, and you know, he's amazing as well. And, you know, so I thought, okay, that ship sailed. I played in the Olympics in 92. I played in the English Premier League and I'd just been away from homes for so long that, you know, I just thought it was time. And I think the final straw was, uh, not many people know this, I had a spell at Arsenal in 2000, I think, three with that great team, Patrick Vieira, Henri, all them, you know, the, the, the I think it was when they won the championship the season previous. Um, so I get a call from Arsene Wenger. He's like, hey, can you come out for, literally just said, can you come out for one day? We're going to make a decision after one day whether you can hang or not. I was like, of course, you know, I'm, I was a free, you know, and I come out after the first day. He's like, can you come back tomorrow? I'm like, I can come back as long as you need me. I'm like, this is Arsenal. Like, I'm, I'm you know, there's a different, you know. And uh, so I ended up staying there for like about two two months. And uh, they were deciding on, you know, what, you know they needed a backup for uh, David Seaman. And uh, doing really, really well. And I had a previous altercation with an agent um, of mine. And uh, we, we fell out like two years previous, but he was a very powerful agent. And uh, so I played a reserve game for Arsenal and did really well. And um, the next day in the paper uh, was a quote from Pat Rice, who was the assistant manager at Arsenal at that time, uh, asking about me. They're like, yeah, Ian Foy played last night. What are your thoughts? And basically, Pat, was, it was a quote. He goes, played amazing. He's a great goalkeeper. We're going to hand him um, – we're, we're looking to hand him a one-year one deal, like today, you know, the next day, you know. So I woke up real, my, my current agent calls me and he's like, dude, check out the papers, the, the daily mail. And he's like, um, they're going to offer you a one year deal. And I was just like, wow, this could be amazing. And about three hours later, you know, I get a call and, uh, the whole things fell through and it was a past agent got wind of it, put a block in it, you know, and all that stuff. And, and, and basically kind of, not trash talk me, but, but put it to where, yeah. So I kind of was fed up at that time. And, uh, like I said, just a little homesick too, and just decided going to come home. And that was it. You know, Agents. So. Uh, oh yeah. I hate them. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> they can oh, really yeah. come up with words. So you come yeah. home and, uh, you got, you get, you go into the, the college world, the Pepperdine waves, huh? Pepperdine waves. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I ended up, and I had two, uh, three kids. Yeah. At the time, um, I had three kids look for good school systems. My dad's living in, you know, Northridge. So I thought, all right, come back to California and school systems, all that were good up in Agora. Um, and, uh, I was starting to go goalkeeper coaching up there. And then I got a call from the head coach, Tim Ward. And he's like, Hey, I've heard great things about you, blah, blah, blah. And there was a, uh, um, Eric Winalda connection as well. And I knew Eric from the national team and, and Tim is, you know, obviously uh, their, their family and that. So started with Pepperdine and, you know, um, the scenery of Pepperdine was a bit not what I was used to, you know, the east end of London. You know, um, you got the Pacific Ocean over the soccer field and stuff. So it was uh, 
it was and nice. Three hundred days on the end. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, you're literally coaching, and you're looking to your right, and there's just the Pacific Ocean and just sailboats going through, and you're just like, wow. Okay, this could be. This it's pretty nice. So yeah, Pepperdine was fun. So that that transition from playing to coaching did did you find it seamless or uh, w w were there some challenges along the way? It's weird. A lot of my buddies that have retired, they say they struggle. I never struggled. I think it's almost like I feel I be I was a player to become a coach rather than a coach, you know, just out of what – like I love coaching so much that it really – I don't miss playing. What I miss uh, – I miss the locker room, the banter and all that with the lads and the, the you know, joking around – but I really don't miss the playing side. Um, and, and so the coaching really just, it was almost right away that I started coaching and, and it's just so fulfilling. And, you know, especially like my, my, my private coaching and my, my small group coaching, you know, to help kids achieve their dreams is, is something pretty special. And, and one, it's something I don't take for granted. Um, and the results have been amazing with some of the keepers that I've had. So, that just keeps you, you know, keeps you ticking over and it's, it's, it's pretty fulfilling, you know? So yeah, there was really never, you know, lack of, uh, or missing the playing so much. And, and like I said, I played, I went over to Europe when I was 16 and my goal was look, if I play one professional game in Europe anywhere, that's a dream come true. And I think I played over like 350 to 400 games all combined with, you know, club and FA Cup and, and West Ham and Bruce and all, you know, reserves and all that. I played, God, probably more. So I definitely fulfilled all that. And, you know, now it's just, just helping kids and, and pros and college keepers alike. And it just, you know, it's, it's fulfilling. It's fun. Well, let's, let's mind this, this coaching side of, side of you. What are the, what are the qualities you look for in a goalkeeper? And obviously, you know, America's been known to produce great goalkeepers over the years. I mean, you've, you've mentioned so many of them, Keller, Friedel, uh, yeah. Howard. You know, what, why have Americans been such good goalkeepers? And, and, and when you get the raw material, what are, you, what are you looking for? Well, first, I think all of our sports are hand-eye coordinated. If you think, you know, basketball, football, but, you know, it's all mostly it's hand-eye. So we got that from growing up. I mean, I played football, basketball the whole time. Not competitive, but like in my buddy's house, we're playing where I'm bouncing a basketball and I'm catching a football one-handed and, you know, playing Nerf football and everything. So that part's there. Um, and I just think we had, I don't know, we had a crop of, of, of good goalkeepers that, that came through and, and, pioneered like Friedel and Keller and myself and then, you know, Tim Howard and Hahnemann and, you know, all these guys. So, you know, we just had a good crop and, and, you know, we did really well on that stage. Um, in terms of what I look for, it starts off with just coachability. You know, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to step outside of the, the box of um, normal and whatever, then, then you have a chance if I'm coaching you because, what I'll teach is it's not always just, um, you know, making the top corner safe. In fact, it's hardly ever about that with me. It, it's, it's about fine tuning what, you know, your, your, I call it your bubble, your, your, your close range stuff. You're catching more, you're giving less rebounds. You're, you're, 
you're not just pushing stuff away. And I think so many times it's like the current goalkeeping is, is it's, it's a little different, you know, it's, it's, it's don't be wrong. There's some great goalkeepers, but man, I'm just sitting here and I'm going, man, you, you might've been able to catch that, you know? And it's some of the training is so like, it's just, it's kind of almost thoughtless, you know, it just looks good, you know, and it's kind of like a gimmicky kind of thing. And you have a lot of like, you know, uh, YouTube stars that, you know, post videos and it, don't be wrong. It's nothing wrong with that. There's some really good ones out there, but there's a lot of, a lot of yahoos as well that just kind of, you know, make it a little bit gimmicky and then, you know, goalkeeping is not gimmicky, you know, goalkeeping is about being solid and, and saving what you need to save and being efficient, reliable, communicating, calm, you know, and, uh, I think we're getting a little bit away from that, but hopefully we come back to that. Well, what's what's the hardest part about being a goalkeeper? And I, I'm going to you know speak from my own experiences as a, an outfield player. And it always seems to me that the hardest part is staying in a game for 90 minutes when you've got nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Or is, or is it no. something else? No, I think that's one of the hardest parts. Um, I do. I, I call it. I'm not saying I coined this. I'm sure someone else has, has, has done it, but I call it speed of thought training. When you come to me, I work a lot on speed of thought. So one of the things that, that where I start when, I, when I'm coaching someone is you have to start where the mistakes are being made. Okay, I see a lot of training on top corner saves. That's not where the mistakes are made. You know what I mean? Like if someone scores a top corner, good goal. If you save a top corner, it's probably there's technique involved, obviously, but it's you're gonna be in, it's probably athleticism and, and a lot of just you know springing through. What I like to work on is the stuff where the mistakes actually really happen. And it's for me, it's speed of thought. So if the ball goes from A to B to C, and at A you need to be three yards off your line, and at B you need to be two yards off your line, and at C you need to be one yard off your line. Where I find the mistakes are made is that speed of thought. So ball goes from A to B, it takes a top keeper a quarter of a second to know where to go. Okay. They'll go from two yards to three yards immediately. Your average keeper goes two yards to two yards and then goes, oh, crap, I got to be three yards and has to step. Do you see what I'm saying? So I build sessions based off speed of thought. So they think it's a shot stopping session or a crossing session or a cross to a finish session. It has that in it, but what I'm doing is I'm creating a speed of thought session. So I fill your brain with, you know, numerous things from communicating to positioning four or five different passes in a row to a shot. And I want to see how fast you can recognize what's happening. You know, the difference between a player has their back to you with a defender tight is different than a player facing you with a defender loose. So you got to recognize that quicker. And that's where I try to pride myself on being a little bit um, not different, but I work on that because that's at the highest level. I've coached U.S. national team uh, men and women. I've coached Galaxy. I've coached pretty much everywhere. That's at the highest level where most mistakes are made is that speed of thought. And it's like, example, Tom Brady, love him or hate him, he gets a snap, he rolls back, and in his mind it's probably like a two-minute snap where it's actually two seconds. 
because he can see every part of the field. He can see body shape. He can see speed. He can see everything. And, and, and it just becomes slower, which then gives him the ability to make even better plays. So it's speed of thought. How fast can you, can you think and know what to do? You know, if you can master that, it's huge. So for aspiring, yeah. So for aspiring goalkeepers, how do they get in touch with the premier goalkeeping academy in you? Just go to ianfoyer.com, um, I-A-N-F-E-U-E-R.com, and, and all my info's on there. I got videos uh, myself. I got training videos, um, everything you need to know, really. Um, and I'm always out here in California if you ever, you know, anybody's available. And before I let you go, Ian, I've got to ask you about your young son who is yeah. an inspiring keeper. Can you tell us how he's doing? He's doing great. Um, he's he he it's he caught caught up in the COVID shutdowns. Um, so he went over to Europe. Uh, he went to West Ham, tried out for West Ham, did amazing. And it was right before the, it was in December, and they were going on a two week break. And they said, you know, go uh, go home for a couple weeks. We're we're having a little break. Come back after the break, and we'll put you in some games. See how you're doing. And, there was a couple other teams that saw him train in too, and they were interested. One of them, um, I, I don't know if I can cuss on here, Watford, um, Luton Town, Watford, hate each other. So just saying. Um, yeah. So and and the same thing. So he comes home, and 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 right when he comes home, the the COVID hit, and for two years it's just been hard to get a to get a tryout. So we're getting back into trying out for some teams. Uh, might try some MLS teams and that. So. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a matter of 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 when, not if. Um, he's 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 much better than I was at, at the same age. So um, I think he's got a chance. He's a great kid, great you know, great build. He's six four, strong, two hundred pounds. You know, just just got everything. Moves well. He's calm. You know, solid overall. So yeah. How is it coaching your son, and and what's what's it like when you know he doesn't agree with you or. <laughs> Mm -hmm. or, or, or are you like are you sir alex ferguson and you give him the hair dry treatment no it's it's interesting it taught me a lot and it's something that i plan on writing a book about um you know how to how to like coach a kid because it's 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 different it's interesting you know um you got to know every phase of development every phase of life you know like they go through their their hormones and that phase 13 to 15 is a crucial age obviously you know um but it was just it was nothing but respect both ways. I never, it's all him. I never made him do anything. He, he would tell me if he wanted to train, if he didn't want to train, if he didn't, I'd be like, all right, cool. We'll just do it tomorrow or the next day, whatever. And it's always just been him and which was nice. And, and, you know, he started off similar. He, he's like, I want to be an architect. I was like, all right, geometry. I'm thinking math. You gotta, you know, be good at those things. And then he was like, I think, and he was like seven. I think I want to play soccer to get into college to do architect. I want to be, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Let's put AOSO, you know, cool. Plays that. I don't like running that much, dad. Can I try goal? I was like, sure, let's try, goal. <laughs> you know, and that's how it happened, you know? And I was just like, all right, you like it? He's like, yeah, it's kind of fun. You get to get all muddy and fly around and, you know, and then he just fell in love with goalkeeping. And so, you know, we just, we get along. We're best friends. We, uh, play a lot of golf together we're golf addicts um so 
we have a really good bond and uh, it's always just been him. And, and, you know, it's been tough the, the the two year shutdown. I mean, the kid was like an inch away from signing for a Premier League club and, you know, everything just shut down and now everything's changed and, you know, so we'll see, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy where he's at. And uh, when you see him, you'll, you'll be like, man, it's, he's got something. He just needs to get his foot in the door and get in a team environment for, a, for five, six months. And I think from there, you'll just see, uh, you'll just, you'll just thrive, you know. The apple doesn't fall too far away <laughs> from the tree. Ian yeah. Foyer, thank you so much for joining the bear and the bull. And as always, if you want to get in contact with us, you can find me at Nick Webster, Cal South at Cal South Soccer, and on Instagram and Facebook. We'll be back next week. Thanks again to Ian Foyer. Thank you.